The Lord be with you. I love to hear that because I imagine that you are genuinely praying that the Lord will be with me as I bring God's word to you today. So thank you for that. Uh, we're going to be trying to fan into flame a community and developing community in the patient way of Jesus. And we're going to take from now until the Christmas season, until Advent starts, to try to do that kind of fanning. So we're not in any hurry or any rush. We think that this is something that God wants to develop within us as his people. And we're going to use the book of Luke to do this because one of the things that we've been discussing with the staff and with some people who have been studying scripture together with me is this idea that Jesus had a very intentional way of developing community and that he talks a lot about it. And when he talks about the kingdom of God and the, the coming kingdom of God, he's talking about this kind of patient development of God's mission in the world. And we are convinced that he wants to do that right here with us. So I'm glad that you're here for today, and I hope that you'll continue on this little journey with us over the next several weeks. So we're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open that up. This is in the New Testament, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke third gospel in chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the, there should be a Bible in a chair that you can grab or you're welcome to use your phone or your iPad or whatever you can get scripture on to read it. Luke chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading with verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It was, has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you shall not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I want to tell you what I did on my summer vacation which was a week ago, and I really wasn't ready to come back, if you want to know. My wife and I relaxed 
That's what we did. Now, this is a new way for me to vacation because I am used to vacationing in a hurry. I like to go to places and I like to do every possible thing there is to do in that location. I don't want to miss a single thing, so I cram my days full of activity and then every night I go collapse in my bed and then get up early the next day and start over again. Anybody else ever vacation like that? It's the kind of vacation you go on and then you come home and you need a vacation from the vacation. That's the kind of vacation I used to do. So Mary's trying to break me from this and she's been working on it for a while and I'm uh, like JR, I'm sometimes slow on the uptake and can't quite figure it out. But of course I vacation like this because this is how I live my life. I like to be busy. I like to fill my days with stuff. I like every moment to be occupied. And so for years I've gone through life crazy busy and then I fall in bed at night exhausted every night. So Mary's trying to fix this in me. And so we started by working on vacation. So when we left on vacation uh, two weeks ago, the very first thing we did on vacation was stop for lunch. And we had been researching this location in a magazine, and there was a restaurant that got high recommendations. It was called Nourish Bistro. Doesn't that sound like something that would make you slow down? Nourish Bistro. And I highly recommend it, but you have to go to Canada if you want to visit this <laughs> restaurant. So the restaurant had received high marks for their nachos. They were famous for them. And so we got in there, and I opened up the menu right away to check out these nachos, and I discovered that this little bistro was vegan. And I, my dietary choice is not to be vegan. And so we chatted about these nachos with the server, and he said, there's 17 different ingredients in these nachos, but no meat and no cheese. And I'm like, what? How can you even call them nachos without meat and cheese? I'm not sure how that works, but it was very intriguing. 17 ingredients, including strawberries. Have you ever had nachos with strawberries? So this is kind of all blowing my mind. So we had to order the nachos. And I got to tell you, partly because of me being skeptical, maybe, and partly because we're in this new vacation mode, I took my first bite of these nachos very slowly. And you know what? They were the best nachos I've ever had. I got to tell you, they were great. And so we continued to savor these nachos as we sat in this little bistro and looked out the window as people were walking by. So we're really learning to kind of relax. And so vacation doesn't have to be crammed full of stuff. We take our time at lunch and we people watch and read books. And sometimes we even nap on vacation. When you find something that you really like, you savor it. The psalmist in Psalm 34 says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. What's the invitation there? Savor. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. If there's a theme verse, I think, for this whole series, that's the verse. That we can slow down enough to linger for a few moments 
and recognize the goodness of God. So we're going to take a few moments to linger over the story of the temptation of Jesus. Now, if you're looking for this in your Bible, you would note that John doesn't even bring up the temptation in his gospel. And Mark gives this whole episode like two sentences. He says this. He says, The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days. Satan tempted him. Wild beasts kept him company, and the angels watched over him. And that's all that Mark thinks he has to tell us about the temptation. But Matthew and Luke both give us a detailed account And they spend some time looking at this dialogue that went on between Jesus and the devil. And so I want to focus on Luke today and try to figure out exactly what's going on here and see how this might help us to slow down a little bit. So the first thing that I notice when I'm looking at this dialogue that Luke gives us is that the devil is actually biblically literate. He actually knows the Bible, and so he knows exactly what words he should throw at Jesus to try to trip him up, to try to tempt him, things that are going to be very tricky. But Jesus knows not just the Bible. Jesus actually is the Word incarnate. And so Jesus knows the Bible better, and Jesus has something to say at every time. So every time that the devil offers Jesus a shortcut, he says, you're hungry, so you should take the shortcut of breaking your fast and turn this stone into bread and eat it, or you are feeling weak and powerless, so bow down to me and I will give you my power and my authority, or you're feeling vulnerable, so test God and see if God doesn't give you the protection that you desire in this moment. Jesus says no to every shortcut. No to the bread, no to the power, no to the angelic protection that the devil offers him. Jesus says no to the shortcut because he has enough already. I was thinking about it this week as though Jesus is actually full of God. He doesn't need to take the devil's shortcuts. He says, I'm so full of worshiping God that following God is enough for me. Following God's plan is enough for me. Sticking to the agreed-upon plan that we've laid out for all time and eternity, this is enough for me. I don't need to take these shortcuts. This is the answer that Jesus gives to the devil. He wants nothing more than to walk with God, to know God, to fulfill the plan that God has laid for him. Jesus doesn't need to take any shortcuts. So by the end of the story, the devil still has all of his little bribes and all of his little tricks in his bag, and he slinks off, it says, until an opportune time, and Jesus is free to go. Jesus is free to carry out the plan that God has laid out for him. Now, there's some, a lot of very interesting speculation about this particular passage. This is an important moment in the ministry of Jesus. There are some Bible students who suggest to us that this temptation in the wilderness is even more important for bringing about our salvation than the cross. They suggest that because in this moment, Jesus actually reverses the curse that was established way back in the Garden of Eden when the devil tempted Adam and Eve and said, hey, why don't you take this shortcut? Eat this fruit. And they do. 
Now Jesus has turned that on his head by saying, I'm not giving in to that shortcut. I'm standing against it. And so the speculation goes that because of this obedience in the wilderness, Jesus has actually won our salvation because he's going to carry God's plan out now to completion. Now, this might be a little bit of an overstatement, but I think it highlights the significance of this moment, the importance of this moment. By refusing to take the shortcut that the devil has offered to him, Jesus stays on the pathway that is laid out for him to win our salvation. Linger on that for a moment. Savor that for a moment. Jesus... King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus, the one by whom all things were created, says, I will linger in this wilderness. I will stay hungry for a moments more for your salvation. To carry out the plan that God has for me. That's delicious, isn't it? It got me thinking about the kind of normal reaction that we humans have to wilderness. We're not really big fans of the wilderness, are we? And in fact, I would think most of us maybe don't even like to think about spending time in the wilderness. Yeah, who wouldn't want a shortcut through that or maybe even a detour so that we can avoid the difficulty altogether? Maybe some of us are in the wilderness right now. And I'm not just thinking of a wilderness that is like stuck out in the desert in the heat. Thinking of the wilderness that maybe comes in a doctor's office or sitting in a hospital room. I'm thinking about the wilderness that comes when you sleep another night on the couch because you've had a fight with your spouse. Thinking of the wilderness that comes with I'm wandering through the parking lot and I can't find my car because I just lost my job. Thinking about the wilderness that comes from being home all alone again and feeling lonely. Or the wilderness that comes from I'm feeling shame because I just can't win this battle with this addiction. Those are wilderness. Maybe we even feel wilderness sometimes sitting in a beautiful place like this in the middle of our chest because we feel like we don't know where God is. We wonder, why has God not showed up for us? Why did God not act as I hoped God would act? Why did God not rescue me from this situation? How did I get where I am today? And that can sometimes feel like a wilderness. Wilderness comes in so many shapes and sizes, actually, that sometimes the only way we can really tell we're in the wilderness is by looking around and all the things that we normally count on to give us life are missing, like bread and power and protection and comfort and the presence of God. I have a friend who says that the only thing we find in the wilderness really is a Bible-quoting devil and sand. That's what we find in the wilderness. So who wouldn't want a shortcut from that? We actually work hard to try to stay out of the wilderness. We are 
really prone in our culture to try to be self-sufficient and try to prevent trouble and tragedy and difficulty. And so we work really hard. We actually, part of, I think, what drives us to be so busy so much of the time is we're trying to protect ourselves from getting off into the wilderness. So we cram our days filled with all kinds of activity to try to avoid whatever troubles might be coming. And if we're honest, we know that sooner or later, every one of us are going to end up in our own special little trip to the wilderness. It happens. And there's nothing like the wilderness to slow us down. I think that's what happens when you go to the wilderness. So think about what happened with Jesus. Let's look at him and see what he did there. How did Jesus end up in the wilderness? What did the text say about that? How did Jesus end up there? The Spirit led him. I didn't expect to hear that. The Spirit led him into the wilderness? What was Jesus full of while he was in the wilderness? What did the text say there? He was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in the wilderness. How long was he there? Forty days. That's almost six weeks. Man, whenever I get into the wilderness, I can't wait to get out. Get me out now. How did Jesus feel when he was at the end of the wilderness? Hungry. Famished. So I think the wilderness slowed Jesus down because you know how when you're really hungry, you lack energy. One time our youth group did the 40-hour famine, and so we did this planned. And I was um, in youth group, and I was doing cross-country at the time, and I thought, I'm just going to keep up my normal training while I'm in the middle of this famine. So like in the, the middle, probably two-thirds of the way through, I decided to go out and do a little 5K. I couldn't finish because it'll slow you down. It'll wear you out. I started reading a book on vacation called Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Anybody else reading this? It's a novel about a little boy who lost his dad in 9-11. And this little boy, Oscar, is describing how he feels. And whenever he feels sad, he says, I have heavy boots. And so he's chatting with his mother one day about needing to get ready to go to school. And he goes, I don't think I can make it today. I have heavy boots. They slowed him down. And he ever try to run in heavy boots? You can hardly function. So sometimes when we find ourselves in this place of wilderness, we find ourselves slowed almost to a stop. And what happens when we slow down? we start to pay attention to different things. I don't know about you, but I don't notice a lot of stuff when I'm going 90 miles an hour. Stuff just flies past me. But when I slow down and I have to pay attention, I see a lot more. Heavy boots will slow you down, but they will also help you pay attention to listen, to watch, to taste and see. What did the 40 days in the wilderness do for Jesus? Did you think about that? 
I think it freed him. It freed Jesus from all these devilish tricks and attempts and temptations. It freed him from that so that he could pursue his true purpose, so that he could set his face to the cross to bring the salvation that we all need. It freed him from these hungry cravings, things that maybe he would desire in his humanness, but they did not offer true life to him. It freed him from any illusion that God was calling him to something that was easy. It freed him from shortcuts. It freed him to stay on the path that God set before him. It freed him to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. It freed him to endure until he finished his calling. It was freeing. I wonder... What would happen to us if we slowed down? Of course, I'm not going to really know until I do it, am I? Some of my questions that start to come to my mind as soon as I slow down even just a little bit is this. Why doesn't God just snap his fingers and solve all of our problems right away? Why didn't God just snap his fingers right away and deliver Jesus from the Wilderness. Why 40 days in the wilderness? Why doesn't God have some other plan? Why didn't God send 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set Jesus free? Why doesn't God send 10,000 angels to help me and deliver me from my troubles? Why doesn't God do something different? Why doesn't he come up with another way? I don't know why, but I do know something about God's character and God's nature in the middle of all these things, and it's this that God has a plan and he is patiently working to execute his plan and nothing will stop him. Listen to these words from 2 Peter 3. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. God has a plan to redeem this world, to fix all that is broken. And one day he's going to bring that plan to completion and on that day it will be consummated. All that is broken will be set right. Until that day, we wait. And we trust that God's timing is not our timing. So the devil goes off and he waits for a more opportune time to conquer Jesus. Does the devil ever conquer him? No. There's no good time because God's patient plan continues to unfold until, it brings it, until God brings it to completion. So if we as Jesus slowed down, would we be free to follow the patient ways of Jesus and to grow in the patient ways of Jesus? This is our theory that we have for this particular series and it maybe goes counter to just a little bit of our, our normal practice because I even am tempted sometimes to think that the best way to make disciples is to make them in a hurry. Like we got to get you guys whipped into shape and we got to get you whipped into shape fast. That's not how it works, is it? You don't put disciple on assembly line and a, uh, one hour each week things get put together until at the end you get a fully mature disciple. That's not how it works. It works over time. God patiently working to shape us and mold us and to make us his people. And the longer I'm in ministry, the more I see that that's exactly how it really does work. So this little season we're entering is a chance to invite everyone to try to get into this process in whatever way God might lead you to do. Slow down a little bit.
And we have some theories about how that works. One of the theories is that we have to change a routine. In fact, I've been in counseling on several different occasions, and my counselor always says, change one thing, and then everything around you has to change, and then you can readjust. So I'm going to invite you to change something, and then think about what other adjustments need to be made. And the change we're going to invite you to consider is this. Would you be willing to get together with a small group of people every week for the next 8 to 10 weeks and think about slowing down? Now, some of us are already in our cell groups and small groups, but a lot of us are not. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to encourage the whole congregation to do this. And we're going to provide some tools to do that. So if you've got your bulletin, you've got the little sermon cell. And for the next 10 weeks, the topic in this cell is going to be, has something to do with the slow church, something to do with slowing down, something to do with building community in the patient way of Jesus. Now, one simple thing you could do is actually take this thing home and do it with your family. Sit down at a dinner time or sit down in the evening or find a time when your family can all sit down and say, hey, let's just work through their simple questions, read the, pa- the scriptural passages, and just spend a few moments meditating slowly. Don't do this in a hurry. Meditate slowly on, uh, pick a couple things to do. Another way that you can do that is by saying, hey, we're going to get together with another couple or maybe two couples or another family or maybe two or three families, just a small group of people to get together and say, let's slow down enough to actually think about how God is shaping and forming us. How is God's plan getting carried out in our own lives to slow down and listen so, so to facilitate this, we've got our normal cell groups, and some of you in small groups already are part of this, but those who are not, we're going to give you the chance to sign up today because we also know this. If you don't do something about this before you leave today, the chances of you doing it go way down. So on the back of the room right now, there's tables on either side, and we have little group sign-up sheets and you can sign up, and there's room on there for two or three different names. The top name is like for a host. And I think some people have already signed up to, or agreed to be hosts, but if some of you might be right now feeling prompted, you could host a group. Basically, what the host does is just convene it. Say, hey, let's get together and let's meet. And so we're going to actually give a few moments right now in the service for you to get up and go back and look at those sheets. I think the ones on this side, are they're laid out by day. So you can figure out what day is best for you. Talk to the person you're sitting next to. Um, the le- later in the week is on this side. Earlier in the week is on this side if you want to go to those tables and actually commit before you leave um, to do, actually commit right now. So we're going to play a little traveling music so that you can get up and do this. You can chat about it with your friend. If you're not really feeling uh, strong, this is like no pressure. So here's how a crock pot works. A crock pot is low heat low pressure for a long time. This is how we're envisioning this series. We're going to just have this low pressure, low level heat cooking us over the next many weeks, hoping that the stew that develops is going to be delicious tasting and seeing God and developing disciples. But we really felt like we should give you the opportunity to do this right now. So if you're ready, go back and do that. If not, chat with your neighbor, continue to pray. Here's something else you could do. I just... One of the postures we use when we're trying to discern things is we go like this. We lay our palms up and we say, God, what do you want to do? And then you listen. 
and see what God tells you to do. So some of you are already itching to go sign up and do that. So go, go ahead and do that now. Otherwise, just discern what God wants you to do. We hope you'll sign up for a group right now.